Greetings and welcome to Resistance Recovery. Resistance Recovery is dedicated to the exploration of any and all topics related to recovery, spirituality, and culture. Join us as we interview thought leaders working at the edges of cultural transformation. My name is Piers Kanuka, and I'll be your host. Hey, everybody, and welcome to round two of Big Book Conversations. It came with my second edition Big Book. Oh, fancy. Yeah, kind of cool. Um, James and I were just talking about how compared to a lot of people, our respective experiences dovetail with the, with the book. Mm-hmm. in a way, meaning that we came to this thing fairly beat up and by the time we got to the third step, we were primed to have an experience and we actually had the experience. Which is not to say that other people don't have experiences, but they seem to usually have them later in the steps. So there's something about the sort of setup for a third step that sometimes plays a certain way and other times doesn't, but for us it did. So we thought we might unpack that a little bit. Um, so can you recall what was going through you both mentally and emotionally mm-hmm in the chapters leading up to the third step? Um, wow, maybe. My impression, so my first impression of having heard what's or read what's in the book was Thursday night meeting, church basement, first time going to a big book meeting ever after having met you and you sort of talked up meeting it's kind of spiritual sometimes. You can take part of that or not. Um, and then in the structure of that meeting was they would op- somebody would open up the book. We left off on page, whatever. They'd start reading from there and they would keep reading until they had some kind of feeling or like there was a piece of the book that popped out at them. And they would sort of tell their story in conjunction with whatever quote or passage that was. And then people around the room would start sharing their experiences with the same thing. Um, I don't remember what we were on or what we were talking about or what was happening. I just remember like my impression of like, wow, these people are really, they seem okay. And then they would talk a lot and then they would say, God, 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 God. And that, you know, that there was the sort of fascination and then like aversion to the whole thing. Like, wow, they seem good. And then, ooh, talking about God stuff. Because I was raised religious in the way that I didn't appreciate, <laughs> sort of dropped out of the religion before I started getting high. And I think like a lot of people, there was this built up animosity toward organized religion and language of God. And that's a big, that's like a big sticking point, right? Um, but the book made a big impression through the people that were living it. And I took a copy home. I think I stole one of the little books that were <laughs> stole. Um, and then I read it. It just had the first 164 pages in it. It didn't have a story. It was just a little, little print version. And I read it cover to cover that night. 
I don't remember it. And I didn't remember anything that was in it. I just couldn't, I couldn't stop going through it. I was just, I knew that something about it was like, I needed something from that. Um, I guess I don't remember what my first impressions of the other chapters were. I remember thinking Bill was kind of a funny old guy from the depression, uh, drank in a way that I had never really drank, mostly a drug addict. Um, alcohol was like a finishing move on, <laughs> on other substances. Um, but didn't we sit down and do chapters over a period of time, the two of us? You, no, act, well, sort of. You sort of, we, I think I was in meetings for maybe a couple months. And we, the first time we sat down was kind of like a, a highlights version of the, of the text. It was like, you absorbed a lot of this from meetings. So let's just focus on a few of these quotes, actually, is what we did. You focused on recovery. You focused on restless, irritable discontent, definition of compulsion and obsession, and kind of worked through major ideas that were there leading me up to a third step so i got from the meeting i sort of got you know bill's story and it's hard to relate to but there's certain feelings or patterns that sort of emerge that's similar and um well more about alcoholism are related to that in the way of like oh that's how i get high but maybe not necessarily specifically with alcohol so it was an interpretive thing there you were going to ask well i was just going to ask you you know leading up to the third step did you have this sense of something churning inside? Yeah, of you? yeah, for, absolutely. Right. And it was mostly the struggle between, I really want to feel the way these guys feel. I really want to make the transition that they're talking about from, I don't want to feel like I feel anymore. I want to be something different. I don't want anything to do with God stuff. I don't know how to reconcile that. And there was this like, it's pretty heavy high stakes, like internal wrestling of like, I want to change my whole way of being, but I can't accept this idea. Um, and well, the experience that I remember was walking, we lived in a college town, Farmington, and I lived just a, you know, maybe 10 minute walk from the library and was walking to the college library um, and wrestling, wrestling, wrestling with all this stuff and everything just sort of got quiet all around me and quiet inside me. And in my memory, it's, it starts to snow, but it's not like when I put the timeline together, it's not possible <laughs> it was snowing. It was like summer or something. Um, but I remember it that way. And then what happens is um, a phrase from scripture comes to mind and repeats itself over and over and over again. It says, thy will not mind be done. Thy will not mind be done. Thy will not mind be done. It's not, it doesn't feel like it's coming from me, like my, it's just like coming at me or into me, right? Um, and I, initially there's the same resistance. Like that's like the bullshit that I was raised on as a kid. It's like trying to become a robot for Jesus or something. And like, God's trying to destroy my will or whatever. Um, why would I buy into that? Uh, and then there's a sort of a vision is presented of like the timeline of my life so far, which was, um, a story of what my will looks like and my will looks like. I float through life in relative ease and comfort and privilege. <laughs> and then I reach a point of decision and I just pick the most selfish thing. that's going to make me feel the best, the thing that I want the most. And then my life gets a little bit worse and it goes on. And then another point of decision, I make the same selfish move and my life gets a little bit worse. And that's like a series of like cascading events until I reach the point at which I want to die. Um, 
And that's what my will looks like. That's what I do. Um, and I do seem to be a prisoner of that. Like looking back on all those points of decision, I couldn't have chosen differently. Like I only had what's in it for me. That's all I have. That's my, like the James program is make me feel good. <laughs> make me feel better. Um, so it became clear, like if that's all I've got, the idea of some other will coming in and replacing that meant that I, that maybe I could have, you know, at least go flat instead of keep going down. But like, maybe I could, I could have a better life. I could have a life that functions. I could be at peace, right? Um, and like the clarity of that was so piercing that I started to cry. Um, I walk into the library and this is like, you know, crying out your nose type crying. It's like gross, <laughs> it's messy. Uh, and I locked myself in the downstairs uh, bathroom and got on my knees and I couldn't remember the third step prayer. I think you and I had scheduled like to do a third step that weekend or something. Um, and I just said, I, I don't even remember what I said. Something like, I don't know how to do this. Please help me. Something real, real grasping and simple and true like that. Right. Um, and then I just, I didn't, it wasn't like angels and sunbeams after that, but it was like, I instantly felt like I'm okay. I'm like, I'm going to be all right. Uh, I knew that there was like some kind of response. I don't even know. I w couldn't even say like, there wasn't like a visitation from that or something or like, you will be okay now. It was just <laughs> like, I'm on, <laughs> I'm on new ground, you know? And the, the, um, the durability of that, were yeah, you, you, did you have an immediate confidence that it was durable or was it, did you have to wake up the next day or the next 30 days and? It felt solid. It really felt like, oh, I'm standing on something different now. I'm like. And that obviously that was unlike anything that ever happened to you. Yeah. Right. It was, it, yeah, right. It was like, okay, my whole life had been this mess of me trying to get how I wanted, how I feel. And then all of a sudden, I didn't know how to define it, but it felt like something more sturdy than that was in place now. And I, I trusted it. It felt, it just came with its own trust almost, you know? Uh, and then we went into the woods and said a third step prayer and a raven flew overhead, honestly. <laughs> I went, <laughs> really? Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's cool. And uh, I told you, I think I told you then about the experience I had in the bathroom of the library. And you're like, oh. So yeah, that was, that was step three. Like uh, a letting go of all that, of my own will, really. The idea that I'm going to be able to make, make my life work. And so that happens over a few weeks and it has as much to do with the people as it is the text. Sure. Yeah. Right. So for me, it was a lot more concentrated than that um, mm -hmm. because I really had, I wasn't, I wasn't really brought into this community and mucked around in the book in the kind of formal informal way. I basically went to New York because I was, R Ruth, my girlfriend at the time, practically begged me. And I went and uh, 
Don Pritz was there and we started going through the book. And I didn't have any experience with the book. I read chapters or something, you know, stories. Um, and the people that I was with were all strangers except for her. And they weren't they weren't really that compelling. They weren't, not, they weren't bad or anything. Uh, they were kind of like window dressing or something. They were there, yeah. but it was really Don going through this book. And I can remember after about a few hours, because we went from Friday to Sunday, after a few hours, I even said, I feel high. Mm -hmm. Um, and what really got me was the paragraph in the doctor's opinion about they are restless, irritable, and discontent unless they can experience a sense of ease and comfort. Yeah. And that, because everything, I'd been sober for eight months at that point, and everything had been so strenuous. You know, it was just tiring. And the tiring was this trying to create something in myself or, or trying to make sense of my inner states in light of what I thought I knew about recovery. Mm -hmm. You know, and it was good. <laughs> it was like, you know, Chinese cereal boxes or something. It was just, <laughs> oh. And then when we did the third step, and it's kind of interesting the way you were talking because the most conspicuous thing about my third step was the silence. Mm -hmm. And the silence, in the silence, you know, the way you described it, you know, the will thing and, and chasing self-will, to me, that's very, uh, that is very textual from the book. I mean, that's I, right. not that you're referring to that, but, right. but for me, it was more like the silence and the uh, stillness gave me some vision all of a sudden where I could see that all the strenuousness leading up to that weekend was alcoholism. That, that's mm -hmm. what really got me was, sure. that was alcoholism. Right. There, there's, there really is such a thing as alcoholism absent alcohol. Mm -hmm. And I could only really grok that in that silence. But you know, I'm, the reason why I asked like about the durability and the awareness of the durability and your answer just totally satisfied me because I don't know, it's like somebody gave you this really comfortable pair of shoes and you, yeah. you're like, ah, but then you don't really realize that you're gonna wear comfortable shoes the rest of your life or something. <laughs> Yeah. No. And, and then, and that was, but it was very durable. Mm -hmm. It was extremely durable. And as, in fact, I feel like as the days passed afterwards, I grew into the awareness of, Oh, something really happened to me. Yeah. Well, you get to start to see the implications of that in the details of your life now. Right. It's like reformed the way I drink coffee in the morning. Yeah, re reformed the way that I think about myself as a college student at that time, like noticing the neighborhood. Yeah, right. Why I walk down the street, chatting up people, that kind yeah. of right. Yeah. 
there's sort of a comfort and a groundedness that sort of followed me around into every every interaction that I had. And and in in regards to like the things that used to really worry me, it's not that I didn't have fears anymore, but there was this different sensibility about them. Yeah, and and what's so weird now, it's just sitting here. This is why these conversations with you are so great. So then you and I will go on this thing that's lasted forever, decades, mm -hmm. where we keep going into this book and for, you know, and we keep, we get very exegetical about the book, yep. right? We keep noticing things, we keep extrapolating things, the book keeps morphing for us. And we ideally, we, that is helpful to the people that we're trying to help. Mm -hmm. but you really got to kind of step back for a second and, you know, and go, I was getting something when I went through the book at the very beginning, but it wasn't all that stuff that I'm seeing now. Okay. Right. So there's really, it's suggesting that suggests to me that there's a kind of a, an energetic or something that's going through this. Mm -hmm. That is sort of the book is a vehicle of it and the concepts are undoubtedly important and they carry energy and all that. But there's something going on beyond that. The like the the I want to say it, the least interesting interpretation of that is just that um, we get older, we have different experiences, we look back to the same text and those experiences inform what we see. Right. 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 Um, but it sounds like you're, you're sort of saying there's a layer on top of that that's like. Or underneath it. Or underneath it that's, that's like. like. Like what happened to you was there was something in you that met that community. And this was some sort of uh, exercise, for lack of a better term, that we yeah, engaged right. together. For sure. But there was an energetic of healing in that that. Mm -hmm. transcends I mean you call it God if you want but it transcends the factors of how they were reading the book to you at the time and who you were hearing it right and, yeah right there's something communicated through that ritual of reading the book that's not just reading a book yeah something more going on there right we, we you would say you had explained it ahead of time as like the spirit is moving in the room sometimes and yeah. that that seemed like a pretty good explanation to me like oh okay there's definitely something here that's more than this i mean we're just like a bunch of busted up people <laughs> right. reading a book that's not like that special right no. you can see that at the library probably um but what the result was was all this power felt like was present there's all this energy yeah um and certainly you know so like i'd done things in the in the on a superficial level i've done things like take a third step in the past growing up evangelical christian there's this thing that we had called like the altar call which was like if you feel bad about something come on up and give your life to Jesus. rededicate your life to christ was kind of the move and i had done that several times in fact i'd done it at home several times worrying that i would wasn't saved enough <laughs> like jesus christ accept you into my heart no no no, no. Sometimes five times a night. <laughs> There's a lot of anxiety around that. Um, but like the, the that's it was like at a, a superficial level of like I know I'm supposed to feel a certain way and I don't, and so maybe these emotions will make me feel that way. 
And to some extent, they kind of did. There was sort of like a, I don't know, a drama around it or something. But it was never at this level of, holy shit, I'm fundamentally broken. I cannot, I don't work at all in life. And like, I need this other thing to, to run me, right? Mm-hmm. And it's interesting too, that like, it sounds like you and I both had that experience of like getting really quiet and walked away with like pretty similar understandings, but different language for it. Mm-hmm. It was like bouncing off the silence with like, and back into concepts, but like the ones that we had available were different. Mm-hmm. It's cool. Well, yeah, so you're talking, oh, go ahead. Well, that seems to be at the heart of the mystery of this whole thing. Mm-hmm. And it's still replicating, it's still happening. Um, but I think that, you know, you and I, and you know, I would put Joe Kern and a few other people in there, have this kind of strange third step thing happen. Mm-hmm. It's not even that common amongst people who get better in the 12 steps. No, yeah, that's true. It's fair to say that like, it's not required. No, it's not required, um, but it does still happen. Yeah. I think I want to say, and this probably is also false, <laughs> but I want to like my gut say that something like that is required at some point. It might not happen in step three, but at some point you hit something that goes, oh, I'm, I'm going to make this like internal move of sacrificing my own will and like clicking over to this other connection. Yeah, or I or I'm kind of I see a lot of people that are sort of muddling through it, and then it's kind of like, oh my god, I'm changed. Uh sure, right. You know, fifth step, ninth step, something like that. Um, yeah. So maybe it'll be helpful if we try to. Of course, it's you know it's it's been turned into a legend, but if we compare ourselves to Bill. Yeah. So. He has the antipathy to religion kind of like you do. Right. But he didn't get as much of a dose of it than that you did. Right. He was like you in that he wasn't really looking for anything spiritual to help him. Mm-hmm. So I'm not like Bill in either of those ways. Um, you didn't grow up religious and you didn't have that. Well, I grew up religious, but you know, not evangelical. Right. kind of this liberal Protestant and it didn't wasn't appealing to me, but it didn't horrify me. I, mean, I, had, no, I had no interest in it. I was right. interested in religion though. Uh-huh. Um, but I didn't, you know, the fact that, that the big book read evangelical and biblical didn't bother me in the least. Okay. Right. Um, but he was also newly sober, which you and I weren't. Right, that's true. Um, we had some time under, how much time did you have under your belt? When eight you, months. I was like at six, something like that. So we were both, but we both had something that Bill didn't have and that also is not talked about in the book, which we talked about in the last episode. We were, um, you know, what Don Pritz would call suffering untreated alcoholism or what others call dry drunks. Right. We just didn't know it. Um, right. So, that, so Bill's fresh. Bill's like right in the midst of all the drinking. and Right. Is that in fact detoxing at the time that he has his experience? Right. 
but we've reached levels of desperation that were, at least in my case, approaching suicidality. Yeah, same. Yeah. So there's a similar, what's similar there is like the despair and the, the bottom or whatever. The like, right. oh shit, I can't, this doesn't work. And the messengers that came to us, all, all three of us, were largely unexpected. I mean, Bill's case, he actually could see a change in somebody that he used to drink with, yep. who was horribly alcoholic, and he couldn't right. deny his eyes. Mm -hmm. And you couldn't deny that there was something weird about those people in that meeting. Yep. And I, done. and I couldn't deny that Don was some freaky ass thing I'd never seen before. Yeah. So we all had these messengers that were kind of arresting. We're desperate. I mean, is that the recipe? Well, I think those are some prerequisites. You got to be in the point of just like, I don't think so. Me being in junior high, thinking I need to rededicate my life to Jesus is not really in a state of fundamental despair. No. Everything's kind of going okay, except for the fact that I'm worried about my religious stance, right? Yeah. Um, but me thinking of jumping off a bridge and dying because my, I cannot figure out how to make my life work is that's at a level of despair that's like, it's ready for something else. Either ready for death or the death of something in me. So maybe we need to unpack the despair a little bit. Okay. Um, with Bill, there had to be a crushing sense of um, failure. Yes. After having tasted success. Right. <laughs> that was the one part of his story I couldn't relate to. Is like, man, he was doing great in life. <laughs> so you can't relate to the having known success. No, I couldn't get a job at Wiener Schnitzel, which is uh, a hot dog place. I mean, I had had kind of a little run of success, nothing like Bill. Yeah. But I knew that was over. Um, well, there was alienation. Sure. That's part of the despair, not feeling like you don't belong. Yeah. I had that for sure. There was some sense of guilt or loss around women. Yeah, I guess that's true for me too. Like not able to make a romantic relationship function. Right, or being really hurt by them, or really, or maybe getting in one that you wanted to keep, but you couldn't keep it. Yeah. I mean, must have just been tortured by, well, some, you know, people like Clarence Snyder say he was very tortured by his treatment of Lois. Right. Um, so it's like, I think that's part of the alienation. It's like, I can't, yeah. my relationships don't function, including my romantic relationships, my sex relationships. They don't, they don't do what I think they're supposed to do, or I can't, I can't make them last, or meaningful. I mean, I feel like it's still different for you and me because we also had the sense that we we were sober for these periods of time and we were seeking relief and we weren't finding them. Right. Your Bill's story is very much about like trying to conquer the world, can't do it. Trying to conquer his own alcoholism, can't do it, can't do it, can't do it, can't do it. Finally right. gives up, right? Right. We've benefited from the like the later history of AA, which was everywhere you can just go to meetings and hang out and maybe put some time together. 
but then you get all this like time together. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's painful. Yeah. I can't make that work. Yeah. Yeah. There was something about, there was nothing, there was no way to escape something for me. Mm-hmm. I felt cornered by something internal. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was carrying it with me and I was trying to get away from it and it just was everywhere I turned, there it was. Right. Everything was a sigh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> right? <laughs> Not a sigh of relief, but like a... Yeah, like, oh no, another thing. Yeah. I have to do this now. <laughs> Wash, whether it's washing the dishes or right. meeting, meeting your mom for lunch or yeah, whatever it is. Somebody <laughs> walking into the church basement. Oh, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> heavy so going of life. That's a piece of the book that really popped out. They were needlessly making heavy going of life. Right. I didn't know I was making heavy going. I, I just felt heavy going. Heavy going was life. Right. That's what I thought. You get high so you don't have to have all that heavy going for. Right. I think that's, that's very true. That's right. So like sobriety no was fulfilling a prophecy that I had bought into that if I got sober, there was a good chance it was going to be just the way I found it. Right. Boring. <laughs> this, this kind of sucks glum yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah it's heavy going but the the idea that i was making that i mean i think i would have taken offense to that if if i if it hadn't been put a certain way like your suffering is your own fault is like not not a friendly yeah. thing to say <laughs> and i don't think i even know that i believe it i mean yeah. kind of like what you said earlier i was I could not do otherwise. Sure. Well, so, okay, right. That yeah. Self-will in a way is bondage to my own will. I think the distinction there is like it's not fundamental to reality itself that we should all suffer constantly the way that we were at that time. It's not right. this like true fact of reality that it just sucks. Right. We're, <laughs> we were yeah, we were projecting our inner state onto reality. Right. And so I think your distinction you're making is like, that wasn't my purposeful on my part. It was like, yeah, and I way beneath what I could have access to. Yeah. And I couldn't choose to do other. Couldn't even see it. Right. Yeah. So I don't know if this happened or not. I do know that now in retrospect and when I'm working with people, I, I, am, I find that there's this sort of essential sentence in the book that kind of brings everything together. And it's in uh, chapter four. It's in the beginning of the second step, we agnostics. Mm-hmm. And it's a sentence that reads, if a mere code of morals or a better philosophy of life were sufficient to overcome alcoholism, many of us would have recovered long ago. But we found that such codes and philosophies didn't save us no matter how much we tried. Mm -hmm. We could wish to be moral, we could 
wish to be philosophically comforted. In fact, we could will these things with all our might if the needed power wasn't there. Our human resources, as marshaled by the will, weren't sufficient. They failed utterly. And I should probably just get it. But we can talk about it in a minute. But anyway, um, that, that to me um, is the essence of what's going on with the steps. Meaning, I mean, on one level you can say, you know, the philosophically comforted thing could be the reading the books about Buddhism and the, you know, the literary imagination and all that, the, the, the playing with ideas to try to find some sort of relief or escape. Mm -hmm. But the code of morals thing, which, you know, I use this a lot with my clients. I'm like, so I know the difference between right and wrong, but I continue to do the wrong thing. Yeah. And often that's at just at the level of how I think about people um, or how I ignore people or, or avoid people or, you know, especially the people who love me, like my parents or something. Mm -hmm. And how part of this angst when I'm, when I'm sober is I feel so guilty, so bad conscience. Um, now, of course, sometimes my self-pity can be so intense that I'm not feeling particularly conscientious. Right. I'm just, I'll say something, you know, I can remember saying this, this awful thing to say to somebody, I said, oh, everybody would be better off without me. I'm such a burden. <laughs> right. You know, that's just a brutal thing to say to somebody who loves you. Right. My self-pity can be so enormous that I can't see that I'm going to really mess you up by saying that. Right. Um, but I know the difference between right and wrong, and I can't do the right thing. And I do recall this, that I did a lot of bad things in active drug addiction that I blamed on drug addiction. Right. Active drug addiction. And then I got sober... And I continued to do these bad things, which were not the same bad things. They were more on the level of, you know, sleeping with women I didn't really like or being short-tempered with my parents or still doing a bit of shoplifting and then afterwards wondering why mm -hmm. or a tendency to, to lie in kind of a dissembling sort of way. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm not telling overt lies, but I'm not sure why I'm lying. Right. And I, I can remember being in all that. Um, and, you know, that, that there's, a, there's to me, that when, the, when you hear people talk about spiritual malady, that's, that's it right there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, having a conscience that's torturing me and not being able to live according to the prompting of my conscience. Right. That makes sense. It's a pretty deep division internally. Yeah, so that's exactly what it is. And I think um, I think a lot of people, you know, would be horrified if they knew just how biblical that actually is. Yeah, right. um, well, I was just going to say, it is like fundamentally... A theological condition almost 
It is. You're in relation to something that's more powerful than you already. Right. Just like we were with the drugs right. and whatever else. Now in relationship to our own conscience. Right. And our conscience is like what Paul would call the law. Mm -hmm. And the law is in there and it, it convicts me. You're going to read me some Bible? I am. All right. Uh, I just want to make sure I get it right. Yeah. Yeah. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. I do not understand my own actions. There we go. Mm -hmm. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree that the law is good. So then it is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells within me that is in my flesh. I can will what is right, but I cannot do it. Right. Yeah, that's, that's literally like description of addiction from first century. Yeah, it's page 44. Right. But it's also what those passages were part of what Luther read. Mm -hmm. And he had his spiritual awakening that, you know, what that caused. So what's interesting to me about that is, so that is like, that is not only is it Romans 7, it is the same passage that Luther read when he was in a spiritual crisis that will lead to the, you know, something as powerful as the, as the um, Reformation. Mm -hmm. And there it is in the big book. And it goes pretty unnoticed. You know, when you read people talking about the New Testament in the big book, they always talk about the Sermon on the Mount and Corinthians and the book of James. But they don't really ever talk about that. Yeah. It's also like really resonates with both your experience of a third step and with mine. We both saw these visions of like, for me, it was my life on self-will, which is that same kind of understanding and for you it was like oh that's alcoholism right? right that's the problem not the drinking right it's this other piece that underlies the drinking that's the and, and then something shows up in our lives that gives us relief from that right and the book the big book reads right after that it says lack of power that's our problem mm -hmm. has to be we need to find a power by which we could live doesn't say we need to find a power by which we can stop drinking. Mm -hmm. um, and we both experience something akin to power. Right. 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 I don't know what to do with this, but it's interesting in the verse you read how, I hadn't noticed this before, how like Paul sort of separates out the law and sin and me as these distinct entities. Right. There's like this me caught between sin and the law. Yeah. Where this thing is always sucking me into it, even though I want to be over here. Yeah. Right? And I'm I'm divided then between these two. Yeah. I want to be sober, but I keep getting high. I want to yeah. do the right thing, but I'm just a shitbag. <laughs> Whatever it is. Yeah. I think it's helpful because there's a tendency amongst twelve steppers to say that you are that thing. 
Uh, that's true. That, you are that sin. Right. Um, and I, I don't believe that I am. I believe it's in me and it acts mm-hmm. through me and it causes damage. And maybe I'm the only one that's ever going to be responsible for my relationship to it. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I lack the power to affect any change in relationship to it. You can't not do it. Yeah. So that's different. That's fundamentally different than saying you feel shitty because you're a shitbag. You feel right. bad because you do bad things. That's right. And I wouldn't feel bad if there wasn't another part of me that wanted to do good things. Right. So this is like not the, the piece this adds to that statement is that you, you do bad things. That's also beyond your control. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Knowing, they, knowing, yeah. knowing the good or having a healthy conscience, but not having any power to be answerable to my conscience. Right. Right. So it's and the recognition. Yeah. No, you go ahead. It's the recognition of that that is the this the, the embodied, like felt, the visceral recognition of that is maybe what we're calling despair. Yeah, I think so. It's like, I think so. I fully get it on every level of my being that this is the case. I'm feeling it. I've lived it for long enough and I can see it now how it works. And I just get that how fucked I am in relationship to this. And I I think I can't fix it. When people get that without all this biblical reference. Yeah. um, Like I have a client right now, Ryan guy is amazing and he will say things like you know he's he's all estranged from his family and and he'll uh he'll tell his kids i love you on the phone or something and they won't say i love you back Mm -hmm. and then he'll immediately want that to be the fault of his wife Mm -hmm. and then he goes through some changes and he looks back on that event he says I wanted them to say, I love you back so I could feel better. Mm-hmm. And when that didn't happen, I had to lash out and blame somebody for that. Uh-huh. You know, so you can only really see that kind of thing when you've gone through that shift. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Cause the reality of it's my wife's fault and she's messing with the kids minds in order to take them away from me. And she's a bitch and blah, blah, blah. That right. is such a compelling and all-encompassing reality. Right. How do you, it's just so emotionally charged. And he, and he can't not do it. He can't yeah. not buy into that reality. Yeah, sure. But he has the illusion that he's freely, he's just, a, he's just dealing with reality. Right. He's not, that's not him in bondage to something he can't see. Right. That's pretty wild when you think about it. Right, which is that that's the, the, the clarity that comes from despair is so powerful because it, it, it shows you your relationship to that. But you need something other than the despair to see the despair. So you need some grace or some sort of, yeah. there has to be some kind of splitting off that I can not be totally in that to see it. This was the second piece of the recipe we talked about earlier. Maybe this is the recipe, we don't know. But like the second piece was 
some there's a messenger right there's a messenger and the messenger i think is is the embodiment of that i guess it wouldn't have to be a person well that's see now i've thought about that because and i just kind of you know in the years of reading i've read somewhere where this guy said it wasn't even about recovery but he said you know in the acts of the apostles you see the apostles healing everybody and they go to the paralytic and they say would you be healed by the power of God? And the paralytic says, yes. And then rise up and take your pallet. And you read that and you're like, well, wait a minute. If dude is being healed by the power of God, why do we need Stephen, whoever? Sure. Sure. And the reply to it was that that itself was the mystery of the incarnation. That the incarnation embodies itself in and through human beings it's necessarily relational okay so you're saying it does have to be a person it has to be yeah and this author was relating it to jesus's embodiment and god has to yeah god comes to through people it's it's another other people say god has no hands but your hands god has no heart right um so the thing that gets me and i because I'm a Christian, I tend to err this way, but is this an anthropology that's really universally applicable? Is this really speaking to the human condition? Well, I think we have to be super careful anytime we want to do that. Well, that's it. I mean, but that, that, isn't that fascinating? Yeah. Because, you know, if, you're, if you've had the experiences that we've had, then it's going to be very hard to not generalize that. Well, we both were guilty of that. But yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we told everybody how wrong they were. Yeah. Yeah. And we, we tried to cram people into these yeah. eggs, these holes. Well, so in our defense, <laughs> we'd had these really compelling experiences and wanted other people to have them so they could feel better. This is better than that. I can see you're doing what I did. Why not have this? Yeah. And sometimes we see that we see our own experiences replicated in other people, which so validates that. Yeah. Thing. That fuels the fire of like, you really see? Yeah. You're doing it wrong. By this, yeah. We see it also the people that don't get it, it reinforces the wrong thing. Where it starts, it starts tending towards blaming the victim. Uh, what do you give me? What are you saying? Well, so, like, it, people, it didn't happen for them, therefore, uh, who thought could it possibly be but theirs? Right. Yeah. So, it's it, it saves the few at the expense of the many, in a way. Yeah. Well, that is a very troubling thought. Mm-hmm. But that seems to be the truth about recovery generally. Mm-hmm. 12 step or not. Right. That's one that'll keep you awake at night. Yeah. Well, I mean, yes, absolutely. Um, I think there's like a hundred Addiction is this thing that destroys things. It just kills people and destroys families and yeah, robs people of futures. And regardless of whether you're a twelve stepper or not, you know that that doesn't have to be the case. Always. And yet, you know, it's like the people that defeat it are some sort of remnant. Of course, there are these these people, and I don't know if I'll ever know enough about it to talk intelligently about it, but there are these 
you know, there's increasing number of studies that talk about spontaneous recovery and sure. the, the anomalies I referred to before. Oh, uh, the spontaneous remission. People are yeah. addicts one day and then the next day they're just not and they don't do it anymore. Right. Uh, but we can, we can maybe talk about that later on. It's interesting. It is interesting. Um, the other thing about it is, is when this does happen, uh, and I can say this, you know, I, I probably have a little more authority saying this than a lot of people. Uh, when I when this happens, it, it is very compelling for everyone involved. When someone recovers and has these bright experiences. Like, like that guy I just told you about. When you witness somebody having that. Yeah transformation you're like your jaw drops yeah. even though you've been doing this for 25 years and you've seen it happen before it really a weird amazing quality of it that never yeah. gets old no it's like it's and, and in fact it's like such a shot of like wake up juice it really feels right. like whoa that's why we're doing this i forgot yeah that's even what, if i yeah, yeah that's like, what happened to me and i kind of forgot yeah right on the conceptual level, I would have argued with, I would have told you this was true. And I've been telling people this is true for a long time. And yeah, you should do this in order to have that. And blah, blah, is what happened to me. But the substance of it is like so thin until someone happens, until it happens again. You're like, whoa, like, holy shit. <laughs> I mean, I wish it wasn't that way. I wish there was like the norm that I would just say, try a third step. Here's how it works. And then we'd have these spiritual fireworks all the time. Right. No, it's not rare. Even that would be cheap. That would <laughs> be like, it's like somebody's not paying. Yeah. Right. Right? It would be too easy, I guess. Is that what you're saying? Or like, yeah, it's like it, this costs. This does cost. Right. Right. Although it's kind of hard to quantify what it costs. Sometimes you can. I think there's sometimes there's like, a, I mean, you can't really because it's so extensive that you could never. Right. But like, there's the immediate, there's the immediate things that the ego is holding on to. For me, it was like I'm going to be the next William Burroughs. I'm going to be this genius writer. <laughs> you remember? Uh, you remember me telling you telling me the story of what you were going to do? No, what did I say? You were going to have these like two ramshackle trailers. <laughs> in two different parts of the country like really remote oh. and rural yeah and one would be like winter and one would be summer and you would go out yeah. there and you would write <laughs> yeah notice there's no other human beings involved in that <laughs> like like one of hitler's paintings <laughs> it's like i have two unabomber cabins and i just write weird shit in them and that's what i want right um, yeah i think i think the unabomber even came up actually <laughs> um well so th this is the risk of being redundant uh yeah. you probably didn't see the the depth recovery two thing no i did yeah oh you did yeah i like those so what did you make of this thing about you know the ego mm -hmm. is obviously not running the show when i'm sticking the needle in my arm right i'm in the grip of an r-type i don't have any power I'm powerless. Yeah. We come into recovery. I acknowledge that powerlessness. Oh, yeah. Right. And then the battle with the ego only actually starts in recovery. Right. Because now there's the tendency to want to 
deny one's powerlessness, denial, deny one's frailty, to to transcend these things, to yeah. leave them behind, turn it all into hero's journey. I find I, I you know I, I just found that yeah. Really I wanted to add something to that because I feel like the role there is a role for the ego in active addiction, which is the denial. So like, let me sort of see what I, like the, the, I'm yeah. not driving, I'm not driving the bus. The bus is heading 80 miles an hour toward a brick wall. And I'm waving my hands out the window to all the bystanders saying, no problem. Don't worry about it. It's cool. Yeah. Yeah. No, Leave I me alone. Let me do my thing. That's, that's right. Right. So it's not, it's like uh, an accomplice in a way. It's an accomplice but not the perpetrator or whatever. I don't know how to explain No, and I can remember this happened once with a guy in particular, but it's happened many times over the years where somebody starts entertaining the idea that they might be alcoholic. And yeah. uh, I say, well, you know, maybe not drink this weekend. Right. And then I see him on the next week and I go, well, how'd that go? And they don't want to talk about it. And they say, well, I changed my mind. <laughs> Yeah. So that, that's definitely the ego talking. Right. It's the illusion of being in control. Which I, I got to maintain. I got to maintain. That's right. Yeah, I have to. And then it, you're right. It pops right back up without missing a beat once you're sober saying, see, <laughs> yeah. I've got it. It's under yeah. control. And that's exactly what despair is meant to slice in half. That, right. that moment of like, I've got this. But then when you get relief from despair, it comes back again. It comes back oh, again. Yeah, it's no. definitely part of the dynamic. I'm not suggesting that, you know, the ego can't, won't assert itself again and again and again and again. Yeah, yeah. But it's it's at the heart of something. It's, um, you know, so Sardello will talk about the ego. He'll say, psychologically, we should just think of it neutrally. Mm -hmm. on one level that it's yeah. just your identity and you need one to function and this Eckhart Tolle thing that you could be egoless would you know you you'd be wandering the streets not knowing who you were sure um but he says what when people bash the ego and he says that's egotism and that mm -hmm. is the ego takes credit for something yeah. it shouldn't take credit for right so you see that in recovery people start getting better and they start I'm special because I got better and you didn't kind of thing. Sure. But then he says, there's Stardell also says there's the mystery of the ego. And he would say that's the that's when the ego can sacrifice itself. Mm. When I can diminish my own, when I, you know, the miracle of humility, if you will. Yeah, I like that. It was a while where I was saying something like, my only job is to get out of the way. Right. And that's something like what that, which is like the ego's job is to like notice its own bullshit. <laughs> yeah. To step aside so this other thing can. Right. Make but, something even, but even that is almost egotistical. In the, it's giving you the power to get, you know, this is where it gets quite mysterious. The power uh -huh. getting in and out. Right. I mean, you know, Simone Weil used to say the only thing she could do was lift her gaze towards God. Uh -huh. 
And then if she succeeded in that, some some small freedom in the attention, yeah. then maybe other things may follow from that. Well, you're saying that even that gesture is egotism. I'm Which saying that it can become egotism pretty quickly if I say I have the power to get my ego out of the way. Okay, right. Whereas Simone is saying, no, I, I look to God. Yeah. And then things will happen or not. That's about the extent of what I can do. I get that. I think so. Because there's like a series of levels at which looking to God can be meaningful. I can go through the routine of an 11 step in the morning or something and it's it's nothing. Yeah, no, she, she means something sincere. Yeah. Well, so then that's very similar. Like, where does the power to be sincere come from? Where does willingness come from? Yeah. It's tricky. Well, yeah. Yeah. What, and, you know, sometimes Robert Sardello will say, who escapes? That's very interesting. What, is, what do you mean? Because there's some part of us that escaped addiction, either uh-huh. active or, or sober. Yeah. And there's some other part of us that had to get left behind for the escape. Mm-hmm. Some something had to be left behind. Maybe it wasn't right. part of this. I don't know. But there's or something that escapes and something that doesn't escape. Right. Or something that's still with us and just is like having a nap. <laughs> that's the metaphor we hear in meetings, right? Say it again. Uh, we hear this metaphor in meetings that my addiction is still with me. Right. It's, just, oh. it's sort of like distanced or, or like working out or it's doing something somewhere yeah, else. Push ups in the parking lot. Yeah, um, which I think we kind of poo-pooed that last time, but it actually has some validity, which is that what if I do go get high again, there's gonna be this reaction, right? Yeah. It didn't it didn't well, it, it has the validity too that that despite being recovered, life is still full of messiness and yeah. I you know what I said in that inter- the thing the other day was it's a uh, there's something about the ego that wants to deny creatureliness. Mm-hmm. You know that I'm 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 dependent not on not just God but on my wife and the air and food and yeah yeah I'm 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 pretty weak right I'm pretty weak it's that yeah I'm pretty frail right but I, I'm but on top of that I'm inflated. Yeah, the inflation is a denial of that. Right. So despair, like I'm not in that sense of despair right now. No, but it's not because you're necessarily inflated. It's because something's delivered you from the despair. Right. Although the the truth that was shown in the despair is still true. Yes. It's still true that I don't have any control (laughs) over my worst behaviors and that I have to rely on something else to do that for me. Um, which I distance myself from by time and comfort within sobriety. This is like an old timerism, right? Yeah. I've been around here for a while. I had my recovery and feeling like it's, you know, eh, I, it's, eh, I got this or it, it's sort of, um, I wouldn't tell you that I'm in control of my recovery, but it sort of feels like I can expect this inertia to keep going. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, so that's, I don't know if that's inflation, but it's sort of like a, well, it is a reassertion. It's uh, it, it's yeah. It's the ego is definitely showing up there, right? I don't my, want to be crying out my nose in the bathroom every day. 
<laughs> no, how broken I am. But that that that's why I think that depth recovery thing is so interesting. Is there's something that Hillman says the ego can be relativized. You can eventually get to a place where you can kind of see it. Mm-hmm. Still the seed, it's still the conscious thing running the show. But now, now I can kind of see it. I can observe and the position. That's right, and then I can start. It becomes easier for me to stay with things like weakness and pain and loss, uh-huh. and inferiority, uh-huh. and not only to stay with those things, but to realize that those are the things that enable me to have connections, meaningful connections. Whereas right. this rising up this heroic thing of transcending it is actually what starts cutting me off. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know where to go from there. Um, I don't know if it's wrap up time or if we want to keep spinning. Yeah, we can wrap up. Um, yeah. So I think next we should probably go into the mean, the inventory and, and, yeah. and, you know, I think a lot needs to be said about what it is and what it isn't. Okay. Um, like what you can expect from it and not expect from it, what it can and can't do. And what's its overall role in this trajectory of exercises? Yeah. That sounds great. Yeah. And what, next time. What does it mean to, yeah. Tune in next time. <laughs> All right. Thank you all. Until next time. Thank you for joining us. For more information, you can find us at resistancerecovery.com.